This is Americana Podcast, the 51st state. Longevity is something that is hard to come by in the music business. The pressures of being a musician are ever-mounting, coupled with the strength it takes to tour weeks at a time, only to come back, make another record, and be driven out again, away from friends and family. It's a life that is not for the faint of heart. At the beginning, it's commendable. After 20 years, it's awe-inspiring. Our guests today at Americana Podcast have been doing exactly that, making music with passion and touring relentlessly for two decades. Hailing from Memphis, Tennessee, Lucero formed in the late 90s, maintaining its original members, frontman and lyricist Ben Nichols, guitarist Brian Venable, bassist John C. Stubblefield, and drummer Roy Berry, they have only added one person, pianist Rick Steff, since their formation. Lucero's live shows are a testament to their long and hard work over the last 20 years. Followed by a dedicated fan base, individuals from all walks can be found at one of their shows. They're drawn to Nichols' simply personal and relatable lyrics, and the driving musical force, an amalgamation of punk rock, old world country, rock and roll, and classic Memphis sounds. Lucero at its roots is an auditory exemplification of this wonderful thing we call the human condition. Heartache, hope, decline, growth, a glass of whiskey after a long night. Releasing their 10th studio record, Among the Ghosts, in 2018, this band has come farther than any would have expected from a punk band playing their first set in 1998. Today, Ben Nichols and Brian Venable join our host, Robert Earl Keane, to talk about their growth as a band, unusual influences, and their personal take on Americana music as a genre. I am your producer, Clara Rose, and this is Americana Podcast, the 51st State. This is Robert Earl Keane, and you're listening to Americana Podcast, the 51st State. Today we're talking to Brian Venable and Ben Nichols of the band Lucero. Welcome, guys. Yes, sir. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, well, we're, I'm grateful that you're here because uh, you guys travel around a lot, and it's nice to have you here. Uh, you've been referred to as one of the hardest working bands in the last 10 years. How many dates do you play a year? Well, we used to play, we used to do over 200 maybe 250 shows a year oh my god in, in in some of the rougher years uh but that was a while back we've been doing this for 20 years um in the last few years we're we'll clock in around 100 115 this year which is still a lot for some people sure yeah. doing yeah. two hour shows too so it's... Mm-hmm. but you're comfortable with 100 shows uh, a year 100 shows isn't too bad mm-hmm. um i i have a feeling you know over the next 20 years uh it might get pared down a little bit as we go along but um uh, you know, more of us have kids now and families back home. We're able to break it in. Instead of going out for six, seven weeks at a time, it's like two weeks at a time. Ah. Home more. Right. So. Yeah. 
yeah, no more of those, you know, nine-week tours, 12-week mm. tours. That's uh, that's too much for us now. Right. So uh, you just mentioned 20 years uh, ahead, uh, but you've just celebrated your 20th anniversary. Of our first band, show. Right? Oh, yeah. At the very first show. Where very was that? That was at a punk rock warehouse called the Hewling Space because huh. nobody ever is original. They just name them after the streets they're on. Yeah, yeah that was in Memphis? It was in Memphis. In Memphis. Yeah, downtown, uh, right across the street from the Lorraine Motel, actually, okay. uh, which is a civil rights museum yeah. now. Hmm. Um, Seven songs? Six songs? Six songs, I think. Six songs yeah. to probably about six people. Oh, there was like 12 there. <laughs> Maybe 12. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty small crowd. A modest beginning. So how did you become Lucero? How did you get together? Brian, Brian found me. Um, I'd, been in a, I'd been in a few bands from Little Rock. I was born and raised in Little Rock, Arkansas. Right. Um, and I followed a girl to Memphis and was trying to start a band there and was going to shows all the time. Back then, it seemed that there were shows every night every, of the week. Yeah. And, you know, different little punk rock clubs and stuff. I'd never played guitar before. This is my first band. Really? <laughs> and... Um, that's fascinating. What, did you just went, buy one and then yeah, say, I yeah. need a band? Yeah, well, for years I'd joke with people and be like, oh, I'm going to start a southern rock band, country band, or whatever. Right. And nobody would be like, yeah, yeah. Right. And no, I bought Matt Bradley's guitar and it was like a basement or something, some terrible rig, but I was like, okay. And... He fell for it. Yeah. He didn't know. He was from out of town. He didn't know. I was from out of town and didn't, couldn't find anybody else to play guitar. I was so. like, I got songs. And he shows up and he had like songs with words. I had a part. I was like, so I have this VHS that I still have that has how to play lead guitar. And he would leave and I would, like if you listen to the early stuff, it's literally just scales. Mm -hmm. And Jim Dickinson used to be like, it's crazy how you'll play a major scale over that minor chord and I didn't know what that little M meant. I was just, <laughs> I was just playing. So, but yeah, I had no clue. In the beginning, all I was a Lucero guitar player. I knew seven songs, then I knew ten songs. So, <laughs> so the two of you started Lucero. Did you? Were there bass and drums involved at that point? We tried. Uh, well, for uh, yeah, pretty soon we got a. We found a couple of guys, but the, our first rhythm section lasted about six months. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they were gone even before the first oh, they show. Played, they played the first two shows, and then it was just me and you and the violin player for a minute. For a long time, yep. And then and then we slowly pieced together the rest yeah. of the band. We found Roy, we would, uh, our drummer, Roy Berry. He yeah. came along from the coffee shop. We found him. The humor we would record. My dad has a, but he had an attic that he set up a studio. He's a musician, plays on Bill Street. And so he had this little homemade studio. He called it the Blues Attic. So we would go up there and we recorded <laughs> us and then we put the violin, and then as we got people. So Roy went on next drums, and John went on last as bass, which is... Wow, the opposite way <laughs> yeah. most people <laughs> exactly. record. We, yeah. You know, we, we were still figuring so stuff out. That was the attic tapes to where it was just us. Yeah, a little cassette. Trying to get it on. Are those cam out cassette. there, or is that one of those We ended up putting it on CD later, oh, yeah. um, so you can get those. It's kind of our unofficial... First, first album record. it's uh -huh. it's the I'd early years grown up with the cowboy junkies trinity sessions and i was like you just stick a mic in the room and right. plays around it and uh -huh. not knowing how yeah nice those mics probably were and how there was probably more than the one <laughs> and the church didn't hurt either so we did it individually tracked everything individually yeah. and then edited it together um but uh but yeah it's out there and it sounds it's, it's very raw but very honest <laughs> so this group 
uh, that you put together that mm-hmm. you're talking about. And th- this is the group that's been together all the time. Same four guys. So yeah. what do you attribute your longevity to? Nothing. What? Nothing better to do. <laughs> I, oh, they have nothing better to do. That's what no he's better. trying to say. That's what he's trying to All say. All of us. No, no. Uh, I just, no, uh, no other skill sets yeah. and um, nobody, no other job prospects. No, there. nobody had to. There was no question that we'd, you know, get a van and go on the road Man. because, yeah, there was no careers to leave behind. There mm-hmm. was no families at the time to you leave behind. You hear people that bands, are, like huge bands, or you think are huge that are doing so good and then they kind of just fizzle out and they're all graphic designers or mm-hmm. something that whatever. Oh yeah. They, we don't have we don't have that problem. Oh yeah, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and so so yeah, if if the guys yeah, if the guys want to get a real job, go for it, but not not these dudes. So the four of you are the core band, Lucero. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So uh what's been the best part of staying together that long? <laughs> Man, it's pretty uh it's pretty easy going on the road now. Uh, you know exactly what to expect from the guys. Um, and everybody just kind of has their own space and does their own thing now. I think now. it's the family kind of situation where you have your family. You don't have to just talk to them all the time. It's Not pretty, in a bad way. but It's, it's pretty like, comfortable. Yeah, you just everybody gets up. Everybody has their routines. And and, uh, and everybody everybody knows their job. And everybody's uh, just kind of uh, everybody's dependable. Uh, everybody knows what to expect, what's expected of them. And... Uh, and yeah, everything just kind of. I mean, it took twenty years, but we've got it into a pretty good rhythm now. We went you know? through every imaginable situation to get here, and I and think we've, that's we've had rough times. Oh, yeah. for sure. Well, but I mean, uh, but it's, it's family, so it works. And people always ask, they're like, like, what's the one thing you've? What's the one piece of advice, or what's the one thing you've done right? Bring a and, towel. Oh. <laughs> bring a towel works, but I usually say uh, the only thing we've ever really done right is just we didn't stop. Yeah. Uh, well, when we play together, you can tell. I mean, my dad he was even like in the very beginning. He's like, "This is crazy. This you don't find this." But now, I mean, as my dad spent his whole life wanting to play music and tour, and he didn't get to like, you know, I came very early, and um, so he was able to play on Bill Street, but never tour. And for years, he's like, "You need to pick up, learn a bass. You know, I have to learn three scales, and you can play forever." And I was like, "I want to hop trains. I want to write poetry. I want to not do that." And then, so when I finally came around, he was like, "What can I give you? Do you need anything? Here, look at this guitar." He's he's living vicariously. You know, I quit for a year and um, came back, and I think you could tell the dynamics came back with it, and um, and part of that is. How much we don't like each other and how much we do like I each really other. I really didn't want him to let him back in the band. He did not at all. Nope. Every you guitar quit. player in you the quit. Tri- I, oh, we tried out everybody. Everybody. No, oh, it was all horrible. Everybody. I had no choice but to oh, let you no back. No choice. No choice. It's the best choice ever.
My dad used to make me play. He'd buy these amps or these guitars. He's a bass player. That's what he's done. But he'll play and sing. But he would make me do 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 do. And he'd just be like, <laughs> just. And I'm like, and if I messed up, he'd give me this, and I'm just like, man, this is the most not fun thing. If this is music, I am not enjoying myself. I'm not a fan. Yeah. And so, but that was I got stuck with. He needed a rhythm section, mm-hmm. and so. Let's talk about uh, some origins. Uh, you have punk uh, uh, or origins in some of your music. How, did, yeah. how has that affected you? I mean, how have you brought that into your sound today? Uh, I think kind of one of the punk rock aspects of the band is that we started, and kind of like Brian was saying, we had no idea what we were doing. And, like, we weren't... This was the first band that I played guitar in as well. Um, I'd been a bass player in a bunch of bands, and... Uh, and yeah, playing a bunch of punk rock shows. Yeah, I think the punk part about it isn't necessarily the music; is the attitude of you don't I mean, have to be who, classically trained. Who buys a guitar and decides to start a band without actually knowing? Ah, how to play yeah, a guitar. yeah right. that's the whole. That's like, one of those punk rock things: is you just get up there and do it, and yeah. just play, and you know, world be damned if yeah. you know you're and not doing all, it. You're not doing it the right you way. You jump off and you figure it out on the way down. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and so yeah, and, and so I think that's kind of how we. I mean, some of the stuff comes in like. You, your influence is growing up. You might chord wise or solo wise, or you know, just, there's certain parts that you grew up with. But most of the punk rock music is the same as your blues and your rock and roll. So there's not a whole lot of difference there. We were just all of our friends were in this punk rock scene, and so all the shows we played in the early days were punk rock shows. Um, <laughs> we didn't really know anybody in country bands or in Americana not, bands. Or when we started this band. There's a horrible name for it that I that I came up with and I'm not going to repeat because it just dogs us to this day. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking and, about. Um, but I didn't know about No Depression Magazine. I didn't know about the alt country at all. Jason and the Scorchers and that kind of Dwight Yoakam type stuff. But So when we finally got at Barristers, James, the guy that booked there, he was like, oh, this is that alt country. That's that No Depression stuff. And we're like, oh. We're like, well, oh, we got it? a magazine and was like, son <laughs> of a bitch. Well, look at I that. I invented this. You know, it does exist. Um yeah, we were just, we were thinking, oh, yeah, we'll be like a punk rock band, but doing Johnny Cash type songs. Yeah, sad. I Buck Owens is where I was going, but, but yeah, in the end, we play these shows with the loudest bands in the world, and then we just in the middle, and everybody sit down and cry and watch. <laughs> and, so. so let's talk about songwriting. Uh, yeah, your writing routine, Ben. I mean, you write most of the songs, right? For the yeah, band, right? yeah. There's a few back. In the early days where Brian would come up with a part uh-huh. and then I'd kind of take it and, and shape it into a song and write the lyrics for it. Um, but yeah, mainly I'm the one that's doing mm-hmm. most of the writing. And um, in the old days, I just, I didn't have a whole lot to do. And uh, it was just every <laughs> night I liked, my dad had this furniture store. Uh, they sold they sold pianos and organs, but then they sold furniture as well. And I had a little spot in the back set up with a PA and I could go up there and play all night long um, and be as loud as I wanted and not disturb anybody. And that's just where I hung out, and I would go and hang out there by myself, and uh, I'd just write songs every night. Um, and that's kind of how the first, I don't know. He would leave on Tuesday. Go back to Little Rock. And come back on Thursday night, we always had practice, and usually he'd have at least one song, mm-hmm. and we would add, flesh it out around the com- completed song. Yeah, and now, now it's more, uh, it's like, ooh, okay, it's time to go back in the studio, and then I, then I buckle down and start really trying to write um and so the last few records uh it's i I don't know i think there's there's kind of a benefit to that in that uh 
I think the records sound a little more cohesive now than they used to. Uh, in the old days, you might have a song you wrote two years ago right next to a song you wrote, you know, last week. Whereas now, uh, all the songs get written kind of in the same couple months, uh, or in the studio even while we're there, and uh, and so they're so they're at least kind of coming from the same time frame and the same kind of mind space. Uh, so so I think there's a certain cohesiveness to the records now that didn't exist, and I'm I'm kind of liking that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you sit down to write a song, are you are you writing it all at one time, or do you? Uh, uh, usually, uh, the music first is uh-huh. how I do it. Right. Uh, I find a guitar part that I you know that right. I like that uh-huh. sounds interesting that I haven't heard before. Right. Um, I try to find something more than just you know G and D or G and C. I try to find something that has some kind of uniqueness to it. Right. Um, and then I've got a list of phrases and words and really? ideas that kind of evolves over time and um and i a lot of times i literally will play the, this new part and kind of read down through the list until i find something that I'm like ooh, th- those words fit over this part and then uh and then yeah kind of flesh it out from there so you're really coming mostly from a musical perspective usually right? yeah. yeah first uh i never only one song ever did, i wrote the words first and then tried to come up with music for it and that was a uh, the song has way too many words, but uh, it's a song called The War. It's about my granddad in uh, Europe in World War II. The preacher said, boys, he was killed tonight. Down with Lord Paradise. One boy spoke up said, preacher, come on. Eat your supper with us. Everything else, it's the music first. It's finding that little lick or that little something uh, to build everything else on top of. So uh, the shortest time it ever took you to write a song? Uh, one night. One night. But those are rare. One that's night. happened two or three times. And that's usually when you're really upset about a girl. <laughs> uh, when when that girl, you all you want to do is talk to her, and she does not want to talk to you. Those are those are some songwriting nights right there. Mm-hmm. Or you don't know where she is and she won't call you back. Right. Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, I got a song called Nights Like These that was written that way and a song called Texas and Tennessee mm-hmm. uh, that was written that way. And, uh, yeah. And then in the later days, you stay up all night and you record it on GarageBand, your little demo, and then you send it to her, you email it to her at 5.30 in the morning. Uh. And that... It's usually a mistake. So um, the longest time it ever took you to write a song? Uh, man, who knows? That uh, I Can't Stand to Leave You on uh, Women in Work. It, it had been, it had had a few different names and a, a lot of different drum beats. Maybe. A lot of times it's crazy how important this, finding the right drum beat is. Uh, I, a lot of times, especially in the old days, I would take a song in and it would just be me and Roy, the drummer. And if... If he could find a unique beat to go with this unique guitar part, I'm like, ooh, all right, we, this is going to be a song. But yeah, if I can find a unique drum beat, then uh, that usually means the song will So work. do you change a song after you've recorded it? Do you ever work uh, with that? Well, they develop, they kind of evolve over time. If you, if you, The more you play them live, uh-huh. and you kind of figure out, ooh, we can make this part really loud, and then, mm-hmm. and then do a stop right here, and then get quiet, and 
uh, sometimes they become more. So is that more dynamic. of a tweaking thing, or is that more of a general? It's probably change. more accidental. Uh-huh. Or okay, if you play it one way, organic is the way. Organic yeah. is yeah. the word yeah. we're looking for. Accidental. <laughs> delete that, please. <laughs> Nothing is an accident. Yeah. Um, now it's like. Um, no roses, no more with the stops. Yep. On the record, we never had the stops. But then at some point, somebody will do a stop. It wasn't all at once. It was just kind of somebody randomly did a stop. Somebody followed them. And then yeah. within a year or so, there's stops in the song. And, there's, and yeah, it just makes it kind of different yeah. and more fun to play live. And it's, uh, but yeah, yeah. There are some, because the like Ted Hutt on, was it 1372, where he heard we were going to do the old song. And then you heard uh, Rick and Roy playing it. Mm-hmm. Are you and talking about Goodbye Again? Goodbye Again. Like, that was an old song that we almost put on the first record, but we are going to save it for the second record, and it didn't fit on the second record. And we were reinvestigating it. And in downtime in the studio, Rick, Steph, and Roy Berry were just, they kind of turned it into this our gospel. Piano, our piano and player and our drummer were playing it, and, and it gave it this whole different kind of Kind of a gospel spin. weird feel, and all of a sudden the producer was like, stop. Put that on, turn the tape on, and that kind of all of a sudden reinvented that song. And that song's called uh, "Goodbye Good, Again." It's Good on thirteen seventy two Overton Park. Um, before, and, yeah. Before we get off of the song, right? Is there a certain type of song that you wish you'd written, or you wish you could write? Um. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the road goes on forever. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could write that. Um, you know, that's that guitar part at the end that makes that song. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean that's great, but oh yeah, I love that that kind of storytelling. We used to drive uh, around, me and him, in his car, his that truck jeep thing you had, mm-hmm. and we'd listen to it over and over. We did always stop it right when the solo started. Because uh, I wanted to go back and listen to the I lyrics know. again. <laughs> um, That's yeah. why you guys work together so well. Cantankerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think in the past, uh, my songwriting's maybe been autobiographical to a fault. I would just write literally about what happened last night or last week. or um, And putting together a story like that... Um, without actually having lived it uh, is, I don't know. That's got, something that's tougher for me. You got there kind of with bike riders. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm trying harder. Mm-hmm. And, and Among the Ghosts, this new record actually, um, most of the songs are, aren't are about me. Right. And, I, and I, I'm kind of liking that. Uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to expand my, you know, I'm just playing the same abilities. way, I, I'm good. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> I peaked. talking to Ben Nichols and Brian Venable about their songwriting and their music. They're in the band Lucero. Uh, Let's talk about your first self-titled album, Lucero. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, we, 
we recorded that at the Zebra Ranch, which was what Jim Dickinson called the barn down there in Mississippi. Uh, cold water, yeah. In cold water. Yeah. Uh, with Luther and Cody Dickinson. Uh, and folks might know them from the North Mississippi All-Stars. Ah, yeah. um, and they were kind of one of the bigger bands in town at the time. And uh, our bass player had grown up with them. Uh, and, and so they they knew us and would play some shows together here and there. And they are like, oh, come down to the barn. And, and we've got a real recording studio. Come record. I think Cody wanted, Cody's idea was like, come down, do a two-song demo. And we rolled in there vocals off the floor and cut six songs the first time they were a little bit like oh yeah <laughs> like we were hungry we were yeah like, and we're ready to get all of these as many as we have you I felt think. you felt ready I yeah yeah uh, like it was overdue kind of thing. yeah yeah we uh we had we'd, we'd just been writing songs every week right. and you know we had 15 20 songs and we'd been playing them live all the time, all the time. i mean we would and so we just went play in there our and show knocked them out then we would practice the whole set before our show go down play the show pack up and go play this other little coffee shop. 24-hour place, After yeah. our show. So we were playing three times a night sometimes, and we only had 20 songs. Or yeah, so, yeah so maybe 20 songs. Yeah, and self-titled is, because we did two batches, like, but they were like a year apart almost, weren't they? Yeah, we went down there and recorded probably five or six songs, and then went back a few months later and We did would call those more. demos these days. <laughs> right. But we just, uh, oh yeah, it was where we were at. So is that why Lucero and Tennessee are so close together? Uh, yeah, because then we had yeah we just kind of we we just kept writing songs uh-huh. and then we knew that we could go down there and we knew that it worked and we knew it sounded good uh-huh. um, and so yeah it was six months after we finished self-titled yeah. we probably went well, back down we and started recording Tennessee. We started recording self-titled before we had a label, and then that we got a local label, Mad Jack, and I think they were like. So it seems like, oh, we need to run in and... Because also, for the first two or three records, whatever we were putting out, we were already ahead of ourselves because they were taking so long to get released in our mind. And so it wasn't until Nobody's Darlings is what we actually sounded like, maybe. You mean, like, by the time Tennessee came out, we'd already written that much for the West? Or we were already a different band, almost. Like right. we were, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, we were learning and adding... Adding new instruments here and there and figuring out stuff. and So, yeah, our sound would kind of evolve from record to record so, yeah. pretty quickly. So what record would you consider you got settled in your sound? With Lucero's self-titled, we, we had this more southern rock kind of sound. And you go back and listen to it, it's not even that southern rock. Right, it's, it's just r- rock. Just kind of rock. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like Nobody's yeah. Darlings, Jim Dickinson actually produced that. When he didn't just come in and play piano and hang out, he actually was in charge. And he wanted us... His whole thing was like, I want you to where you sound like right now, and that's why there were no overdubs. It was nope. just two guitars, bass, drums, one vocal, and that for the whole record. Cut yeah, line. he would. Uh, I, there was some overdubs, but he wouldn't. There was no. Uh, there was no doubling up a guitar part or uh-huh. or was, adding a piano that wasn't there. Or, yeah, yeah. There wasn't any. So that was a pretty straightforward record. Yeah. Um, but and that's yeah, that did capture what we sounded like live at the time. Um, but yeah, it's hard to pin down. Um, that first record, we felt like we all right. This is what we, this is the type of band we are. This is yeah. what we're gonna do. And then that sound kind of gradually changes from record to record. Um, but there's a whole lot in common with this Among the Ghosts album. There's a lot in common with between Among the Ghosts and that first yeah. record. I think uh, it's we're still doing we're still that same band. I think. Yeah. A left alone. 
sinks like a stone and it rests on the floor of sin a storm and it's lost deep enough winds range above I can So let's talk about uh, 1372 Overton Park. Yeah. Um, uh, seems like there was a departure somewhat from, it's a big from change. the stuff before. Um, yeah, that was kind of a, uh, that became a big deal because. And what uh, year was that, Ben? Ooh, what year would that have been? 2008, something like that. Right. Something like we that. Don't, 2008, yeah. nine. Yeah. A long time ago. A long right. time ago. <laughs> right. uh, but that was our first record we did with a producer named Ted Hutt. Uh-huh. And, um. The producers we'd worked with in the past, Jim included, were pretty hands-off. Um, they weren't there for the songwriting. They didn't, they they didn't felt, change anything. They felt we had it together. They were there just uh-huh. to kind of... Right. But Ted Hutt, uh, he came in, I'd do demos, and then he'd make comments on the demos, and he actually would come into town and we'd do pre-production, which is something we'd never done before. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd rehearse, and he'd make suggestions like, oh, Man, make that chorus the verse and try write me a new chorus. And turns and, out uh, we'd never written a bridge before. That's a lie, but <laughs> not as many as we should have been writing. Maybe right? yeah. um, we get a little lazy and eh, don't need a bridge. Yeah. But uh, yeah, a bridge for everything Every. for Ted Hutt. Mm. And and you know, uh, and these lyrics are great, but try to get me one more verse where you say it in a slightly different way. And he would just he pushed all of us yeah. um, right. and was very involved from the very beginning. And also um, when we did for that record. We were like, let's put a horns on a song, right. just one song. Right. And uh, Jim Spake came in on the demos, and he put it on one, and we just got excited, and we're like, well, try this one. Try this one. Yep, and, and then, then uh, we ended up with a horn section on the record, right. which was a first for the band. Right. And we'd already, by this time, we'd done, uh, this was our second record with keyboardist Rick Steff, who's a brilliant, really well-trained piano player. He, he played with uh, Hank Jr. for 10 years on the road, and power has played with everybody and he uh and he brought an element of uh kind of this professional side to the band that we didn't have before so you've got rick who really knows how to play his instrument um and you got jim spake this great saxophone player he played with alex chilton uh on the road for a while and he's anybody that wants horns on the record in memphis he's kind of a go-to guy so we got him and uh and a few different trumpet players um and so we've got this whole kind of new palette of sounds. We were, it kind of led us in an R&B. We were like, oh, if you put horns on that Johnny Cash song, it's just R&B. Uh, and it, everything kind of had a... we Memphis soul? Yeah, kind of a Memphis sound to it. Well, um, we you talked had, to Ted, and he oh, said yeah. that y'all were, you were kind of moving that way. Is that, was that a conscious decision? And, I think it, the, it was the fact that we kind of stumbled onto this horn player, and, and we had Rick in place already. And we're like, it was a, it was, we didn't know that we could do that kind of thing uh-huh. until we were in the studio and heard it. And we're like, oh goodness, that's, that's fun. Yeah. That's, let's, yeah, let's well, do this too, more. When, on the personal side, when you, whatever you're listening to at the time, when 
kind of infuse into what you wanted. Uh huh. Sure. And I think we had kind of he's grown up with rock and roll and a little bit more R and B, but we all kind of discovered stacks again for real, like the box set, and we're like, ooh, this is local. Uh, this we could. We can do this. You anticipated my next question. My next question was, was were you aiming for Stax Records or an Elvis sound? You know, so, oh, yeah. so I think Elvis, Elvis at Stax. Stax Records. Elvis at Stax, yeah. yeah. Elvis um, at Stax. Have you heard that record? That it's, is a good record. It's a good record. I, I have no, heard it. Yeah, it actually exists. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of exactly what we were going for. It divided our fan base a little bit. Oh, there yeah. was folks that were like, ah, oh, this isn't the band I love. And then there were other people that, this is the, you know, this is the best record you've ever made. Um and it was so it was a little divisive. Uh-huh. So you did bring the Memphis sound forward after, after we did uh, thirteen seventy two. The next record was called Women in Work, uh-huh. and um, and even lyrically, I was wanting to shoot for lyrics that were kind of that could have been written in the fifties or sixties, kind of a lighter Chuck Berry lyrics. Or I, I wanted to get away from at the time uh, the kind of dark heartbreak. Sad fun. We were looking for fun. It was, a, and it was a fun record to make, and they're fun songs oh, yeah. to sing. Ted was like, "We want them dancing." Yeah, and nobody's ever really danced before. Yeah, Lucero show, and that was fun to pursue for a little while. But, um, but yeah, now we've come back. Uh, uh, we made all a man should do is the third record with Ted. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, you, the songwriting was starting to shift actually back to a more acoustic guitar based quieter sad songs type of a vibe that would have been more of a big star memphis as opposed to a stacks, stacks memphis, memphis. Yeah. right right um so yeah we had this kind of three record arc with uh ted hutt and and yeah it was cool because we learned we could do Anything. a bunch of things that we yeah never really thought we could yeah so your studio experience is a real collaborative experience i mean yeah with that notwithstanding uh the hands-on producer guy but right. as a band uh, yeah, you, you guys are all, like the songs all throwing in stuff for sure. All the time, like, yeah. I'll I'll usually have the the song pretty much done. I it's got you know a verse and a chorus part and a bridge idea, um, but then I bring it to the guys and yeah, depending on the part that Roy plays on the drums or what Brian's doing with guitar or even a bassline can affect it. Some and you're like, okay, wait, you're playing bass like that? No, no, no. Okay, this changes everything. And then you know the song's still the song, but how you approach it can. Yeah, I think change in the it studio. It takes that one song to kind of put a theme to the record, and once everybody's on board and excited about that theme, then everything's just kind of sure. all your parts get geared towards that, and that's what right. makes it fun is to see what you can pull off. Yeah, and you never know exactly how it's going to end up. Well, hey, darling, do you gamble? Because I'm running the inside track. And I'm taking all that I can And I'm never looking back So what do you have against harmonies? 
Ooh. Uh, <laughs> well, if, you, if you'd heard any of my guys try to sing, you would understand. Uh, He's harmony proof, too. <laughs> supposedly. Uh, none of my guys... None of my guys can sing. Uh, I'm just going to flat out say it. Yeah. None of my guys want to sing. Uh, I sing at home all the time. I'm yeah. beautiful. Uh, yeah. Uh, Alone. It, that was just never part of a never part of the band. Right. Uh, and we put some backup singers on some songs here and there. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm not good at it myself. I don't because I've never had a chance to practice. Right. So if somebody. If you do have a guy like, I don't know, like we were on tour with Ryan Bingham for a little while, and, uh-huh. and he wants to come up and sing a song, and he's trying to do a harmony, uh-huh. and then I just start singing what he's singing, because I can't <laughs> do how, it. Yeah, they literally uh, had, for the All-Stars record, Luther was saying they had to track him, and then track him separately, because you kept doing uh, that. Yeah, I can't sing at the same time as somebody else. It's like just it, not part yeah, of what I do. I understand that. Yeah, I just can't I, do I, it. I, I, it's totally. hard enough for me to play guitar. Let me ask you about the Last Pale... <laughs> Light in the West. Oh, Did yeah. you record this at the same time as 1372? Right around. Did they come out at the same time almost, yeah, right? Yeah, right around the same time. Um, I was trying to, there's this uh, punk rock punk rock guy named Chuck Reagan who was doing this acoustic tour, and he invited me along, and I was trying to get the record done before this solo acoustic tour. Mm-hmm. I'd never really played solo very much, um, but this was a big tour. It was my first time on a tour bus, it was, <laughs> and that was like a nine-week tour. And I really wanted to go, and I really wanted to have some kind of solo project to sell. Um, uh, and so I'd written these songs based on this Cormac McCarthy novel, Blood Meridian. Right. And, uh, and, and yeah, uh, we went into the studio. Uh, oh, where was that? Don. Uh, I wasn't there. It was easily studio. <laughs> no, he wasn't there. I had a newborn baby. I was uh, at home. Yeah. yeah. No, this I did it just uh, with a pedal steel player named Todd Bean, and uh, and then Rick came in and played some piano and some accordion uh-huh. on it. Yeah. But um, but really, I wanted it to be a, a, a true solo project with right. you know not a band project, uh, and all the songs were very specifically written about this book, so it was easy to kind of separate them from Lucero material. So the the, the title track of uh, Last Pale Light. Mm-hmm. In the West is sort of reflective of an evening of redness in the West. Yeah, it's a. There's actually supposed to. People are supposed to get the idea there. Ah, maybe. Yeah, and I mean it's obvious. uh, It's obvious that all the song titles, except for that one, Uh are character names from the book. Right. Uh, The kid, the judge, Toad Vine, uh, Davy Brown. Um, So it's and it's so it's pretty obvious where the where the songs are coming from. Right. Um, but that line in particular, it's towards the very end of the book, uh-huh. um, and it's right before the kid walks into this saloon, tavern thing, where he meets the judge for the last time. Uh-huh. Um, but before he walks into the saloon, he's looking around, and he you know, looks outside of town and sees this last pale light, the uh-huh. fading uh-huh. You know, sun. I missed um, that. <laughs> it's, it's just it's, it's not long. It's, yeah. uh, but that's where... It, I was like, "Ooh, last pill light in the West." I'm like, "That's that's good. I'm stealing that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and then I stole a, a bunch of other stuff out of that book and pieced it together into songs. And why is the judge an instrumental? Well, the judge is—he's hard to define. Yeah, really you hard know? to define. He's hard to yeah. pin down. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think any words written about the judge wouldn't do him justice. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, and I, I, I love that. Totally cool. I, it's, I, I love man, it. yeah. that's a real—that's a real answer. It's yeah. not an excuse. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it just happened to work out that way. Uh, 
that we had this kind of moody instrumental thing at the end that uh, was the judge. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I'm, I was just I was real proud uh, of that record. I was real happy with the way it turned out. But without you, there's nothing to keep me from falling too far. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll continue our interview with Lucero when we return. At Americana Podcast, The 51st State, we would like to take a moment to recognize other songs we feel embody the spirit of Americana music. Selected by our good friend and music connoisseur, Will Vote. these are Will's picks. Feathered Indians by Tyler Childers from the record Purgatory. Produced by Sturgill Simpson, Tyler Childers' album Purgatory visits much of the geography found on Simpson's records. Born and raised in Lawrence County, Kentucky, Tyler started playing and writing music at the age of 13. After honing his craft in bars and clubs in Lexington, Kentucky, and West Virginia, Tyler made this record, and it showcases the authenticity of his music, which reflects his Kentucky roots and experiences. His music references country music of the past in an inspired modern take. Will's pick is Feathered Indians, which shows off Childers' strong songwriting talent, a distinctive singing voice, and a fresh country sound. It is one of several tracks on Purgatory that hint at great promise in a young singer-songwriter. And I will sing along. Honey, tell me how your love runs true. And how I can always count on you. Be there when the bullets fly. I'd run across the river just to hold you We're talking with Lucero band members Ben Nichols and Brian Venable today. Let's talk about your new album, uh, the 10th studio album. Is that right? Chris? Something like that, if you count Attic Tapes as a studio. Uh-huh. But that was really just a Tascam cassette recorder. Among the Ghosts. Yep, Among the Ghosts is the new one. And it's your first record on 30 Tigers? Yeah. How does yeah, it, it compare is. to the rest of the records? We, we went back to just a five-piece um, uh and we recorded it mainly live on the floor, kind of like the self-titled. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, you'd go back and edit stuff and fix stuff and overdub some stuff here and there. We had also Matt Ross Spang instead of Ted. Mm-hmm. So we had a new producer, local kid. Mm-hmm. He's worked with engineered stuff with Jason Isabel and Margot Price. And oh, lots of, of stuff, yeah. yeah. He's been real busy lately. Like but, a Dave Cobb? Yep, protege. he works with Dave Cobb a whole lot. Oh, his, okay. right. uh, his engineer for the last little bit of last number of years yeah. i guess right um how was that it's it was it was great yeah. it was a it was a change we hadn't been in the studio for a while we uh we actually bought this new this little storage space warehouse space practice space right down by sun studios uh <laughs> and right by sam phillips nice. it's all we we were actually neighbors so we were literally we could we rolled gear down the street yeah. to sam phillips studio for the recording session. It was right next door. So you recorded this in the Phillips? We recorded oh, yeah. it at Phillips oh. Recording Service. Oh, uh, yeah, not yeah. the Sun Studios. The, right. the, the studio he built after he sold Elvis to right. RCA. Right. It had been kind of, it had its ups and downs, but this Matt Rossbain kid, uh, he he was buying a lot of gear and putting his, storing his gear in there and doing more projects there and it, he was kind of building it back up again. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, we got in there kind of just right at the right time. It was, yeah. uh, it's, he's got it 
it, it's a really cool studio. It's an interesting situation. We've done the last three records at Ardent. All it's, the big star stuff, all the a lot all of ZZ Sam Phillips REM is the one room mm-hmm. and the one green room type. Of, like it's right. you have the whole building to yourself the whole time. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of people coming and going, mm-hmm. so you and, can kind of just yeah. And we didn't, I we didn't do a lot of pre-production. We just went in, set up on the floor, and I had a couple of guitar parts, and we just kind of started playing them and mm-hmm. trying to see what would stick. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Matt Rossbang was usually in the room with us, and he 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 put in uh, yeah, his he, two cents, and he's like, ooh, do that part twice as long, and then stop, and then yeah. change parts or whatever. He was kind of in between, is where we'd grown up with Jim or other producers, Dave Lowry, that didn't do really anything but kind of supervised, uh-huh. and then Ted, who was so in the into it where he was able to hang out like one of us and when we would run through some stuff Matt Ross Bang was a nice kind of in between yeah yeah so, and uh so uh, yeah the, it's a it's a different type of record it's not as produced as uh as the last few uh it's a little looser a little rougher around the edges but uh it's got a certain life to it that I really was like. a charm that maybe from the early records what we call charm is all the mistakes and the recording maybe are there any musical influences that have affected your work or your shows that could be considered unexpected uh you know for instance like i understand you listen to opera i just started it's amazing (laughs) it's uh i'm still learning like i i have a i feel it's a good habit but it's a bad habit of discovering something Uh and completely trying to absorb it i've been listening to classical a lot lately Uh and but then with the opera, with the voice and the music, like there was parts where it was just, I mean, literally vibrating my chest. And uh-huh. I was like, this is amazing. Uh-huh. I've yet to really, they're telling a story. Uh-huh. And usually it's pretty baldy, you uh-huh. know, like, oh, we killed this guy. I'm sleeping with your wife. <laughs> da, 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 da. But I haven't gotten to the point where I'm reading along. I'm still just uh-huh. viscerally enjoying the music. But right. yeah, it's, I don't know if it's affecting the Lucero at all, but right. sometimes listening to other music than uh-huh. what you're, the style you're playing. Yeah helps bring a new perspective or something right, maybe right. but yeah opera is amazing yeah. amazing <laughs> and and you've been uh, unexpected influences uh, and man i don't what know you do. i mean it could be I'm, your family or whatever you're talking about uh, uh yeah no that's uh definitely a change for uh-huh. me is uh this is the first record that uh we recorded since the birth of my daughter uh-huh. uh and i got married a couple years ago right. um and yeah i usually tell that story every night on stage i i the Lucero fans were, it was kind of a worry that it's like, oh, Ben's happy now. What's he going <laughs> to write? The, not just the fans. Yeah, what's he going to write? <laughs> I think the band was a little worried. What's he going to write songs about now? If he's happy, this is horrible. Uh, there's going to be no source material. Um, it'll be ELO. But luckily, <laughs> luckily there's still a deep, dark well of stuff to pull from. And, uh, and this whole kind of stepping out and trying to write stories that aren't necessarily about me. Um, it hasn't been a problem. The right. songwriting's actually, uh, I think, benefited from it. Right. Um, and and yeah, there's something about having a family where yeah, I'm happier than I've ever been before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the flip side of that coin is, it's scary as hell. I've got something to lose now. I've right. got something that I actually care about uh-huh. uh, and that I want to protect. And it's uh, so yeah. There's a certain and there's a certain heartbreak that's. A whole new kind of heartbreak having to leave you know mm-hmm. a baby girl at home sure uh and so so yeah there's definitely some some new uh kind of feelings and ideas and emotions with that everybody are going in there. like roy just had a baby mm-hmm. um my nine-year-old's on this tour with us it's his first tour oh how cool so he's pretty stoked does he play 
No. Uh, it video games right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to force anything. It's all there if he wants to fool uh, with here's it. Here's the G-string. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> but I think as a band, that's part of it, too, with this record is we're maturing with families. And, uh-huh. it's like, I wouldn't have brought him out 10 years ago when right. nobody had kids and we were all just wild. Right. But I think the maturity in our music is also seen in the, the forced maturity that we've had now becoming fathers and uh-huh. having families and stuff. So yeah that does that's cliche but yeah it changes your perspective it was texas it was tennessee it was what i had come into me you were unlike anything before like magic devil killer i was yours it was the early days of rock and roll it was oldest it was memphis song was a plane crash, it was overnight It was burning fast and burning bright Baby, don't you talk no more That look is loud enough You don't have to tell me how It feels not to be in love You see, that was my oldest game Darling, it's my claim to fame And I knew it when I met you all Hey, uh, let's talk about Americana music, if you don't, right. mind, if you don't mind. We'll okay. see. What we, I don't okay. know if we'll have any answers for you. Oh, uh, well, it, uh, uh, these are pretty softballs. <laughs> okay. okay. I love acoustic guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I have an open road to Stetson. <laughs> <Here we go. laughs> Like, like you're just throwing out answers yeah, that, that they can edit into yeah, whatever yeah, questions yeah, yeah. he asks. That's Americana, I wish, right? <laughs> I wish I had anticipated that. Uh, here at Americana Podcast, the 51st State, we're on a mission to define Americana music. How would you describe Americana music there, Brian? Oh, man. <laughs> um, man, I really, I don't know. I feel like. We heard about when it started, like it was the charts, and they're starting a whole new Americana thing, and it seemed to be just the alt country or whatever mm-hmm. at the time. And then maybe they were trying to bring more stuff in, but now I feel like it's turning back into definitely more alt country again mm-hmm. or something. Whereas, I, I mean, it's tough. I mean, well, is that the? Uh, the I've got a question. Okay, like is. Is alt country a thing still? I think or it's Americana trying, now. I think or they, they have rebranded. Is Americana? Does Americana include more things other than alt country? That's what I'm saying. It's like like alt country is one aspect of Americana. Alt country. Growing up with that no depression, you'd have freak freak water or whatever, like the girls and the mandolins. You'd have trailer bride. Trailer bride. Uh, you'd have us. You'd have of course all the bloodshot country costume country bands. You had yeah. all that, so it seemed to be. And there's still that stuff still, still out there. there. Right? But with bringing, what were you bringing in with Americana? Were you bringing in I don't know. Is like, like uh, hip hop or any kind of weird well, uh, like, jazz? Is there an Americana jazz? Like St. Paul and the Broken Bones isn't an Americana band, right? I feel like they because they're because be. they they're doing because they're, they're doing like to, the well, Blues Brothers style. Like, well, they're doing the R and B, but it's kids on guitars and a horn section. It's what we did for eight years. Were we Americana? I don't know. I don't know. That's the, That's the we still way. don't know what we are. We have been. Uh, We've never been formally recognized as the Americana, <laughs> but we've also ran like hell from it sometimes. Um, it's kind of when we started, we wanted to be Tom Petty. We wanted to be 
Huey Lewis and the New. We wanted to be that rock and roll we grew up on. The replacements would they be all or Americana or alt country today? Mm, I, I you don't know. I, you don't know. And that's where we're a little older, or I don't know. We came from that punk situation to where I don't mind being called Americana. We really just want to be called rock and roll. But rock and roll right now, that's been the big debate. Is it's not necessarily is Tom Petty Americana. He would have if he just started. If he'd have put out "Damn the Torpedoes" in 2017, he probably would have been maybe Americana. So. Yeah, I don't know. Dale Watson moved to Memphis, and they have that Cosmo Amera. I can't even pronounce. I it. I can't either. And that was <laughs> nudie suits and open roads, uh-huh. and right. you know, chicken picking, and we don't necessarily fit into that. Well, let's 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 ask this question. Give me three uh, artists that you think are you know uh, solidly Americana artists. Oh, oh, oh! I got this. Uh, <laughs> I think I think John Moreland is John one of my Moreland. favorite songwriters right um, now, and I think he, player. Uh, fiddle player plays with uh, Johnny Corndog. Just put out that record. Oh, uh, Josh, Josh, no Headley. Yeah, Josh Headley. Yep. Man, that is Americana right really? there. Yeah. Josh Headley. That sounds like John it. Moreland. Um, yep. Anybody else? Uh, and then who else you got? Is Ryan Bingham Americana? I think that's more red dirt country, isn't it? Whoa. Oh, see? I'm uh, field yeah. there. Now you're just calling people names. Um. <laughs> We're going to go with the whole new podcast here. Just be you guys talking about them. Right I just, well, I mean, it's dogged us forever. And then like bands like Grand Champagne, the Dexatines, these are amazing American rock and roll bands. Right. Are they Americana? Right. They're not country, but we all have that. Uh, Lee Baines and the Glory Fires. Right. Are they Americana? Or are right. they just rock and roll? There's this, that's where we don't know. You know, like Corey Brandon. He's on yeah. Bloodshot. Is he Americana? I don't know. I'm not sure. Or is he a singer-songwriter? <laughs> I don't know. He's a singer-songwriter. That's singer-songwriter. Yeah. I'm just saying, is I feel like they put a title on it so they could have a chart in right. a festival. Right. But, I mean, under the premise that people really like categories, would you would you oh, uh, we, connect yourself with Americana? Nah. I, mean, yeah, I think, I think no. that's why we're if still... If they bought the record, yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If that's what it takes. What do they need to... We, <laughs> for years, <laughs> nobody's been able to put a... We still get... We just... Do you, do you wind up on the, the Americana chart? Excuse me for not knowing, but I never I look at the chart. That, we have no this idea. Is the, this is the other thing. For the last... Ten years, eight years, everything's been iTunes, 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 and right. this year our manager's like, mm, iTunes is dead, Spotify, uh-huh. and we're like, we're having to add songs to some auto- Spotify playlist uh-huh. that hopefully mm-hmm. make people go listen to it, which ups our Spotify stock. We or, don't know how it works. We don't know. We don't know how right. anything yeah. works. I don't know um, what chart we'll be on on the. Which might be why we just we just like staying on the road. Right. We're kind of oblivious yeah. to everything yeah. else except. Uh, I used to tease people and be like, we hired management to make us as famous as possible. Uh-huh. We do everything in the world to stop them, and wherever it lands in the middle, <laughs> we're good. That's pretty much it. That's exactly right. I'm Robert Earl Keene. This is Americana Podcast, the 51st State. We're talking to Ben Nichols and Brian Venable of the band Lucero. Now we're going to move to the 
Lightning round. Lightning round. Are you, are you ready? Big okay. money, no whammies. Huh? Okay, good deal, good deal. So, uh, in, just before we start this, in before we start the lightning round, let me let me just back to Americana music. Oh yeah. man! Uh, uh, in one word, oh, describe no. Americana music. <laughs> Well, I, huh. All right. Is, um, Once again, that's you. in one word, in one word, describe Americana music. Mm. You want some? You want cheesy? I, I, you said one word. Honest. Ooh. Oh, there you go. Oh my Bam. God. I knew that would hurt you I deep down in your gut. I know. God. Just like scoop out a little part you're of your fired. I got, Give one word. Oh. Come on. You've got to commit to one word. Oh, I don't even know. That's acoustic. I don't even know. <laughs> acoustic works. Acoustic is fine. Okay, good. You know, our goal really is to, you know, almost have a thesaurus. Of, so you've got uh, honest uh, acoustic yeah, music. Yeah, right. There we go. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. All right. Now we're on the lightning round. You ready? All right. You ready? And jump in Purple. either one Banjo. of you at any time. Clad. That's close. Okay. <laughs> All right. You ready? You ready? Uh, All right. Three, two, one. Dobro or steel guitar? Dobro. Steel guitar. Yeah. <laughs> All right. No wonder you worked with together <laughs> exactly. well. David Bowie or Freddie Mercury? Freddie Mercury. David Bowie. Mm. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's a good one. CBGBs or Tootsie's Orchid Lounge? Ooh. You don't know what either. I one don't. Of those. I know CBGBs. <laughs> I don't know the other one. I'll say CBGBs. All right, good for you. Charlie Parker or Miles Davis? Charlie Parker. <laughs> Charlie Parker. Okay. <laughs> mm. Original True Grit or the remake? Ooh, that's tough. Mm. The book. Oh, that's oh the book right, bam. There the you book go. Is good. I after the the remake, I I went and got the book and. I, I mean, the, I, the remake is, is truer to the book, I think. It, true, it, it is. is. And that's an Arkansas author, isn't it? Yes, Charlie it is. Portis, yeah. yeah, Portis. Charles um, Portis. i, I got to go with the remake on that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jack London or Ernest Hemingway? Hmm. I've got to go. Lund? I've got to go Ernest Hemingway just because I've read more of his stuff. I'll say Ernest Hemingway, too. The He's judge. The original misogynist. Yeah. Okay. All right. The this judge is, or the kid? Oh, uh, uh, I got to go with the kid because uh, he stands up to the judge. I didn't like that book. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got no dog in that fight. Okay, okay. Stack record, stacks records or Motown? Oh, stacks. Okay. Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad? I got to go Game of Thrones. You know me. I mean, you want to hear some trivia? Sure. Game of Thrones? Yeah. He was reading the Game of Thrones books well before those shows came out. Mm-hmm. And then in the, we were in the van, and I read whatever the first one he read, read through the one when he was reading. Uh, Rebels, Rogues, and Swarm Brothers is titled after the... An appendix in the uh, third book. Where they named all that. So we named one of our records after that, well before the show came out. Really? Everybody made fun of us, and then the show came out, and it became cool. Ah, <laughs> way to go. I'm going to say Game of Thrones, just because I don't understand. Breaking we've got Bad a... didn't really do anything for me. No, I love Breaking Bad, but Game of Thrones is... is... I haven't watched. I watched the first season and quit. Gotcha. George Jones or Vern Gosden? Ooh. Mm. Do you know who Vern Gosden is? Not not enough. Nope. I feel bad. I mean, George Jones is more fun, but I don't like that question. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. There we go. Uh, Texas or Tennessee? 
duh. <laughs> Tennessee. Uh, yeah, I got to go with Tennessee. It's too hot down here in Texas. And technically, we're from Memphis. We don't claim the rest of Tennessee. So, oh, so it's really, it's yeah, Memphis or Texas. Exactly. Yeah. New school tattoos or American traditional? Uh, American traditional. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, there's some good yeah. new school tattoos, but there's some really bad ones. Mm. And we've got both. <laughs> you got both. Ooh. <laughs> Jackson Pollock or Mark Rothko? Ooh, Rothko. I'm going to have to say Pollock on this one. There we go. Look at these guys, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, Doctor Who or Doctor Phil? Doctor Who. <laughs> I'll go with Doctor Who on that one. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Meet and greet or sharp stick in the eye? Sharp stick in the <laughs> eye. <laughs> yep, I'm with you on Two that. Sharp too. Oh. Two sharp yeah. sticks. All right, we're, this is this is we're coming to the end, guys. We're coming to the end, guys. So here we go. So um, uh, we have one more question here at Americana Podcast. We're looking for a better name for the B3. We think it's a great instrument and it deserves a more colorful name. What would be your suggestion? Oh, the whirly machine? That's kind of where I was going, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, well, what do you call the pedal steel? The squeedly D machine? Squeedly machine. Squeedly machine. Yeah. So, yeah. The sadness maker. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I'm going with you on that. Whirly, the whirly machine. Or, the whirly machine. Yeah. Whirly machine. And we love that. At the, here at the Americana Podcast, we are now calling the B3 the whirly machine. <laughs> My name is Robert Earl Keene. This is Americana Podcast, the 51st State. We've been talking to Lucero, Ben Nichols, and Brian Venable, and we are sure happy to have them here today. Thank you guys so much for coming in to Thank the Texas Monthly Studios. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. At this time, we would like to thank our host, Robert Earl Keene, Texas Monthly Studios, Brian Standifer and Stephanie Baker, producer Ted Hutt, Michelle Steele at All Eyes Media, and our guests, Ben Nichols and Brian Venable of Lucero. Americana Podcast is brought to you by Keen Productions. Edited and produced by Clara Rose, mastered by Pat Mansky, with original music by Kim Warner. Until next time, let the music play. <laughs>